Welcome to episode 3 of the White Coat Podcast titled, The Journey of Medicine to Neurosurgery. Our names are Omer and Ashwin, and we're here with Dr. Sumit Vadera from UC Irvine Health. Dr. Vadera attended John Hopkins University for his undergraduate studies in neuroscience and attended Thomas Jefferson Medical School. Today, we'll try to learn about his journey to medicine as well as his current endeavors as a neurosurgeon. So let's get straight into it. Dr. Vadera, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. All right. Now, uh, as we move into undergraduate studies, uh, when did you decide that you wanted to pursue medicine? So I've, I wanted to do it um, even since I was a kid. I, I don't have anyone in my family who was interested in medicine or neurosurgery, but um, I watched this thing about Wilder Penfield, who was an epilepsy surgeon who did, did all these very interesting things where he stimulated parts of the brain and treated people with epilepsy. And, and I really was very excited about that. And and then uh, in high school, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. And then I went to you know college and medical school. And then my you know I, my parents were like yeah yeah sure sure. And then eventually they they were like wow he's like really serious about it. Yeah, and, then, yeah. <laughs> and I went to to residency at Cleveland Clinic. And then I came here after that. So interesting. So seeing that you attended John Hopkins University um, for neuroscience, how was your experience as a pre med student? Um, and what extracurriculars did you pursue during this time? Um, so it, it was, it's a very intense university. Uh, they're very, uh, driven. The pre-med there is very, very good. Uh, but the people there are also very driven. Um, so, so I, I really, I loved it there. I, I mean, I, some of my oldest friends are from there. Um, I did a lot of volunteer work on the side. I started a, uh, a program for the, you know, uh, disenfranchised students of, in Baltimore, um, I joined a fraternity there. I did. A, it was, there was still a lot of things to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. What extracurriculars did you pursue during your times at John Hopkins? Um, the, you know, I have to think back on it, but yeah, I, I would say that I started a, a volunteer group where we um, did sports with a lot of the uh, middle school students in Baltimore. Uh, there's actually very little available for them in like after school programs. So I got a lot of uh, college students to work with them and do alternative type sports. We did uh, karate. We taught them uh, soccer, other things that you know they may not be exposed to. To really kind of widen their uh, uh, you know interests and, and scope, you know new sports that they may not have seen before. Sure, uh, that and, was one. I'm trying to think of other okay. things I did. Uh, I have to think about that for a second. I haven't thought of that in a long time. Okay. Yeah, no, that's completely fine. Sorry about that. Sure. Don't worry. Um, and then how was your application process um, as an undergraduate student uh, applying for medical school? Was it, um, was it easy? Did you take a gap year? Um, you know, was there anything special? I didn't take a gap year. I, I personally don't like the idea of gap years. I think that um, if you have a solid application, you should, try and get into because you know it's a very depending what you want to do obviously but uh if you're gonna do neurosurgery or something that has like a long training track um it just kind of prolongs what what's gonna eventually be what you do uh and there's a lot of opportunity cost to, to taking a gap year so my personal thought is i i don't recommend it but obviously everyone's circumstances are different uh but but uh yeah so i i took the mcat i think is the third year as a, or a junior in college and then I went to medical school right after that um, 
and then I did four years of that. And you know, now there's also a trend towards doing a gap year between medical school and residency. I, I didn't do that, but I went straight to residency in Cleveland Clinic, and then uh, that's seven years. So it's you know four years high school, four years college, four years medical school, seven years of residency. In neurosurgery, there's a lot of uh, fellowships you can do. Uh, I was yeah. lucky; I was able to do mine as an infolded fellowship, which means you can do that during your seven-year process. Uh, mm -hmm. Some fellowships you have to do after residency, which means that it extends your your residency, you know, eight or nine years along. Mm -hmm. Okay. What do you feel helped you the most to get into medical school? Um, I think it was a, a combination of things. I think you have to. They want you to do really well on on the MCAT. Uh, I did have a lot of extracurriculars, um, doing well in, in your, you know, core classes. Your, you know, I, I was a neuroscience major, which is a little different than a lot of the pre-meds who are biology majors. Um, so those, those kind of things help. Uh, it's really kind of a lot of hard work and really doing well on your MCAT and, and kind of the standardized testing does help a lot in my opinion as well. So would you say that the GPA and your MCAT were one of the main things that helped you get into medical school? I would say that that is a, a, the bulk of it, yeah. And, okay. And obviously, I know people who um, uh, didn't have one or the other, and some of them took gap years, and some of them didn't, and they still did, got, did gotten very good uh, medical schools. Um, sure. So, yeah, it, it, but it's also, part of it is it's a very, um, it, it's a, almost random, it feels like. You know, there's people who, got into places that maybe didn't have as good uh maybe that those some places were looking for different things so people yeah. might get into the program they may not have as good mcat or gpa mm -hmm. and then you know you may get into a program maybe other people didn't so it is there's a little bit of that but i think that if you focus on the important ones being your gpa and mcat that'll get you into a good program sure, sure. um and then moving into medical school uh, which school did you decide to attend, um, and how was your experience uh, at that said college? Uh, well, I went to uh, Jefferson Medical College uh, yeah. in Philly. Uh, mm -hmm. That was a really great experience. Um, knowing that I wanted to do neurosurgery, I picked a medical school that had a very strong neurosurgery program, uh, mm -hmm. and I worked with the neurosurgeons basically from the beginning of my first year of medical school, like very early on. Um, and so I shadowed them. I did research with them. I wrote a lot of chapters and. Uh, did a lot of work with them and basically kind of envisioned my life if you know uh, like if I could do what they do on a day-to-day -day basis and once I saw that I could then I said yeah I really want to do neurosurgery and then yeah. kind of went full force. Um, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do as an undergrad? Um, sorry I, I'm not sure if you already answered this question but um, you said that you were interested in medicine uh, as a child but were you always interested in becoming a neurosurgeon? Yeah, I think I always wanted specifically to be a neurosurgeon, and uh, and I think when I, you know, I, it was kind of like a pipe dream until I started med school, and I saw what they did, and I said, I really like this. I really yeah. enjoy the patients and the types of surgeries and the things you get to do, and then it really uh, sold me on it even more so, and then, and so by that point, um, and so that's why I also recommend when you go into medical school, one of the things you should do is, you know, if you if you have an idea what you want to do, you should shadow people who yeah. do that and then really mm -hmm. you know like uh ingrain yourself in that in that that uh, field and then if you feel like that works for you then that's mm -hmm. great i know a lot of people who change their minds late in, in the process and 
And so, you know, it's not, it, it may be that you, what you liked, you won't like when you actually try it out. Uh, sure. But that's why it's better to do that early on and figure out what you're interested in. Yeah. What was your most impactful experience in medical school? I shadowed a lot of surgeries from the neurosurgeons there. And there were several that uh, I saw, especially, I was really interested in the epilepsy surgeries because I think those patients uh, are healthy and otherwise, you know, don't have a lot of other uh, medical problems and you can actually cure them of epilepsy. So they do a lot of that at Jefferson. So I was really interested in, in pursuing that. I also really like spine surgery. I basically liked everything in neurosurgery from very early on. Um, and then, and, and so I, I don't think I have a single thing that, that, you know, really enticed me. I think it was more just looking at the whole process and putting myself in their shoes and saying, is this something that would be what I would want to do? And can I do this? And, you know, really it, of all the rotations I did, the neurosurgery rotation was the one that I was the most excited about. I mean, I worked really hard. It really was harder than anything else I did, but also it really brought a lot of joy and excitement. So, you know, I realized at that point I really wanted to do that. And you were speaking about your neurosurgery uh, rotations. Were there any other clinical rotations that you found uh, interesting or, you know, anything impactful during your clinical rotations? Um, I really, you know, I, I liked a lot of the surgical ones. I think that's just, you know, kind of what my personality is goes with. But mm -hmm. I really like plastic surgery. I rotated on that. I really mm -hmm. like vascular surgery. Uh, a lot of the ones where you, it's like very um, involved and you really need a good skill set to be able to do it well. I think I really yeah. like those ones. Okay. And also the, the idea of having, you know, a good clinical background as well to like look at patients, really understand their problem, figure out what the best thing is for them. That, that Those were the you know, the ones that stuck out in my mind. Sure. So it was the hands-on specialties that you were mostly drawn towards. Uh, right. I mean, I, I think early on I figured out that I wanted to do some kind of surgery. Um, okay. And so, yeah, that was, that was part of it. Okay. And what was the matching process like for you? Um, so the match process is, it, it looks to be like it's changing right, right now because of COVID. But at mm -hmm. the time when I did mine, um, you apply to about 50 or 60 programs, you get a lot of interviews and you kind of whittle it down. Um, on average, people do, I think about 10 to 15 interviews when I was interviewing. Um, I whittled it down even more. I only did like 11. I said, you know, I think I'm, I, I had a very good, I had a lot of programs I really liked. So I said, you know, 11 was good for me. And mm -hmm. then once you're done that, then you create a, a rank list and you basically pick which programs, where you want to go. And then each program does the same thing. And what they do is they, they basically take your, your you know, list and then they combine it with the program list. And based on your categorization where you wanted to go, that's how they, they create the match. Um, okay. So if I had you know, program X, Y, and Z and program Y really you know, put me as number one, and program yeah. X didn't, then I would match it program Y, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, okay, now we're going to take a little bit of um, a change of topic uh, into maybe the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, sure. And as we, as we all know, with the COVID-19 pandemic still escalating, many hospitals and businesses have been forced to make changes that prioritize public health and the safety of patients. Uh, have you seen any of these changes in your in UCI Health, and what are some of these changes that you've had to make in surgeries and consultation? 
Um, well, you know, the, the biggest one was that the, in California, the cancellation of all the uh, elective surgery, and that was from yeah. the middle of March, I believe, until uh, just pretty recently. Mm -hmm. um, so because my practice is a lot of epilepsy and it's a lot of elective surgery, essentially that was all my surgeries got, had to be rescheduled. Um, it's now starting to pick up again, but I think there's still a, a major hesitation amongst people, uh, you know, saying, well, I don't want to go to the hospital considering, you know, there's still risk there. And yeah. so a lot of people are, so even now it's kind of very slowly, the volume is getting back to what it was. Up. Yeah. So what are some new measures that UCI is taking for uh, new patients and new admissions? Uh, so they've been, you know, UCI has been kind of a leader in Orange County in terms of what they're doing. I think yeah, they've, they've really uh, been very, very focused on, um, you know, testing before surgery, testing, you know, while you're in the hospital, if you're going to get another surgery or you're having surgery after getting admitted. Um, everyone who comes to the hospital has to be uh, like, a, you know, have a symptom list check off and, and then also get uh, their temperature checked. So a lot of the things that, you know, you would expect for to, to you know, minimize the, the spread. They've been very, yeah. you know, proactive about that. Okay. Um, and do you see medicine changing in the future as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, yeah, I think it's going to change in many, many different ways. I think we were talking about residency. And I think from that standpoint, the residency yeah. match this year is very different. It's, there's no in-person interviews. There's actually no in-person uh, rotation. So the sub-I experience is going to go away, at least for this year. Um, I think what the long-term things, one thing for sure, I think will be that in-person interviews, my guess is it won't continue. I think uh, it's a much better process to do it, you know, via Zoom. Uh, it's more cost-effective. It, uh, you know, it, it, it's better from an efficiency standpoint. So I think that may be a long-term change. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully the rotation thing won't change for the long term because um, that's going to be a problem because uh, yeah. getting to know the rotators and the rotator getting to know this, the hospital is a very important part of the matching process. Mm -hmm. uh, just in general for patients, I think it's going to take some time before we get back to the, you know, the volume and the patients coming for elective surgery that we were seeing before that. Okay. Now, as you move into residency, how was your experience at the Cleveland Clinic? Uh, it was an excellent experience. I, I mean, I had, I did so many surgeries. I did, you know, everything. I, you know, I got to see a lot of every kind of surgery. I was involved. I, you know, they're very, um, they, we, I, I got to do, I was, you know, the primary surgeon doing a lot of really exciting, you know, I was, they're allowing us to do a lot of things. Um, yeah because it is a very, you know, people come from all over the world to be treated there. So uh, I had a great, really great experience doing, doing surgery there. And what were some of the uh, maybe most interesting surgeries that you would, that you saw or did at Cleveland Clinic? Uh, you know, there, I would say the, the big ones, I mean, I, I loved a lot of different surgery. I think there's some really great spine surgeries I could tell you about. The one that, you know, the things that stick out in my mind are the epilepsy ones, just because I, I really, do enjoy and love epilepsy surgery. Uh, mm -hmm. The biggest surgery we do is called a hemispherectomy. So we actually remove half of the brain for people who have epilepsy. Uh, mostly we do that in children. Uh, I did uh, several, I probably did maybe 10 or 15 of those with you know the epilepsy surgeons there. And mm -hmm. those are, I think, some of the, the best surgeries I can think of. I mean, it's a 
massive surgery, you remove a major, you know, portion of yeah. the brain, but the seizure free outcomes are incredible. You know, 80% of people become seizure free. Uh, so it's a really good surgery as well. And in total, how long did residency take for you? It took seven years in total. Wow. And did time pass by quick, pretty quick for you or did it seem like a drag? Uh, you know, it, it, we, I did my residency before the 80 hour restriction. So I was in the hospital, wow. you know, a hundred, 120 hours sometimes. Uh, oh but, but in the end of it all, it was worth it because, you know, I think you get very good training. I, I, I feel very well trained in all the different aspects of neurosurgery. So it, looking back on it, it feels like it went by quickly, but in the middle of it, I would tell you that it was a, a very long and hard journey. So, um, from reading your bio, we noticed that you uh, were one of the first neurosurgeons on the West Coast to use a neurosurgical robotic device for precise mapping and positioning when performing minimally invasive cranial procedures. Yeah. Uh, can you explain what that is exactly um, and how, how uh, you led up to doing that surgery for the first time in the West Coast? Uh, so, so where I came from in the Cleveland Clinic, they were the very first ones to use this robot. It's called the ROSA robot. Uh, okay. for stereotactic procedures, meaning uh, uh, guided procedures similar to a GPS. Like it, we, can, we can know exactly where we are in the brain uh, externally. Um, mm -hmm. And so when I came to UCI, one of the first things we did was very early on, we were able to buy this robot. We were actually the 11th center on, in the country to have it. And uh, it really improved our, our efficiency and the our ability to do a lot of these stereotactic procedures are involved with epilepsy surgery. So, um, yeah, it really, it, it, we, like I said, we're the first on the West coast and, uh, and now I think it's in over a hundred hospitals, I believe. Okay. But wow. uh, at the time we were, we yeah, had one of the first ones to do that here in Orange County. That's really crazy to hear. Um, so I had a question in regards to using a robotic machine to perform surgery. What are the pros and cons of that compared to using traditional uh, surgical methods? So that's a great question. So unlike, you know, you may have heard of the Da Vinci and some of the other, those, yeah. those are uh, much more involved. So what you, they give you a lot more freedom to do the surgeries that we're talking about. Uh, this is kind of a more uh, elementary type robot where essentially we, we program it to where we want to go and it, and then we do the remaining of the surgery. So it helps us kind of avoid some of the human errors that are involved with calculating the location and trajectory and targeting different things in the brain. Um, but it's not to the point where it's doing surgery or helping us in, in any more than that. And we don't have anything currently that, that's much farther along than that. Okay. Um, and, you know, throughout your whole, um, your medical, um, sorry, I can't think of the word, uh, path, I guess, uh, were you faced with any hardship or did you ever feel like giving up? Um, and if so, what pushed you to continue, continue working towards your goal? You know, I, I think uh, it is a very hard goal. I mean, and people who are interested in neurosurgery, you know, feel free to contact me. I can talk to you directly about it and, and give you kind of the whole process. But um, it is a very long process. It is very hard. Neurosurgery as a whole is a very difficult thing to do, but it's yeah. totally worth it. And, and if that's what you feel like, you know, if that's what you think you're right for. What mm -hmm. I always tell people is if there's anything else you think you could do other than neurosurgery, you should do that. 
but if it's one of those things where like you really like this is all i can do this is all i want to do i'm very excited about it um that i think drove me more than anything else i you know i really it's a very hard path but you know kind of the end of it and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and saying well you know eventually you get to do this kind of really interesting cool surgeries and help people in a way that you know others can't that was kind of what would help me draw me and let me continue now, one big question a lot of uh, pre-meds have is regarding burnouts. Uh, is it pretty common, and have you ever experienced it before? Um, I've it. not experienced it. I've seen people. Um, I think it depends on many, many factors. There's lots of papers and studies looking at you know physician burnout. I think it's becoming more common, unfortunately. There's lots of reasons for it. I think some of them have to do with uh, the paperwork and the non you know, patient centered things that we do. Um, and, you know, if you let those things overwhelm you, then very easily you can imagine, you know, why people would potentially burn out. Um, I think being grounded is very important, you know, relying on your family and friends and, uh, you know, really focusing on the things that are important, which are, you know, the patient care elements. Those are the things that help uh, a lot. Um, and then sorry, going back, um, a lot of pre-med students have this question uh, for a lot of physicians. What are your views on students choosing to attend international medical schools, such as um, medical schools in the Caribbean? Uh, I think it all depends what you want to do and what your end goal is. I think it's not a bad idea. Uh, mm-hmm. I know people who have done that and you know, people get into very good programs doing that. Um, I think it has to be more of an individualized thing. You know, some some residencies are maybe easier to get into and, and are more accepting of those. Some residencies are less accepting of that. And so I think part of your, when you do the calculation as to where you want to go, one of the things you should do is think about what you're, where you want to end up, what kind of residency you want to do, and then does this program help me get there or not? But I don't think it's bad at all. I think there's lots of people I know who've done that and have done very well. Okay. Now, looking back on your journey through this whole process, is there anything that you would have done differently or regret, and why? Um, it's a great question. Uh, I think what the only thing I would tell myself if I could go back and talk, talk to myself would be that, um, you know, don't worry about it. Things are going to be okay. Everything will work out in the end. Uh, somehow, you know, even talking to other people, the residency match and the and medical school and residency and where you end up after that, it tends to work out. Um, you know, you tend to end up going where you, where, what, you know, what fits you best. And so that's probably what I would tell myself, you know, not to stress so much and, you know, things are going to be okay. Everything will work okay. out. Um, and then what are some suggestions you'd give current pre-med students who are aspiring to be doctors uh, or any advice you have for them um, from your path? As a I, I mean, I think the, the main things are, you know, obviously try and do as well as you can on the standardized testing and your GPA. You know, those are like hard numbers that, it's, uh, that you know, unfortunately or unfortunately are a major part of what, what you know, the people decide, you know, they factor yeah. in when they decide whether you get accepted or not. With mm-hmm. that being said, um, there are, you know, do what in, you enjoy. You know, don't do volunteer work if you don't do, enjoy doing that. Don't do things just to put it on your CV. Um, yeah. I have lots of people who got in with very untraditional, uh, uh, you know, methods 
And mm-hmm. so you really, you know, if there's something that you really love or you're passionate about, it's better to, you know, do that and do it really well than to force yourself to do something that maybe you're not going to be as excited about and probably won't succeed in as much. Okay. Uh, thank you, Dr. Videra, for your time um, and stay safe. Thank you. Okay. You too.